Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Well, well, well. Slava, we're back again. Or should we call you Darth Slava? Because that's you what you... should call me Darth Slava. Okay. I have been turned. Mm, that's a little... Okay. Well, turn, turned you are. Have you told your wife? <laughs> <laughs> She's also embraced the dark side. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Classic. Well, we've got another guest podcast here. Happy to introduce the guy that brought us to this book, Matt, over here. Happy to happy to bring the Segway train on over to the to the dark side. <laughs> to the dark side. Matt, you said you uh actually brought something to show us? Yeah, yeah. So talking about Darth Bane, I think this is episode this is your guys' third episode on the book, right? To close it out. I am a bit of a collector when it comes to, to lightsabers and I actually have Darth Bane's lightsaber here. The nice. hook blade and everything. So it's got like all kinds of fancy noises. I have the blade too and everything, but I just I just like the way it looks and the way that they describe it in the book, like the versatility versus why it's a hooked handle and the benefits versus the drawbacks of a straight hilt lightsaber. I just thought that was really cool. I'm not a swords master or anything, but it makes sense for his character to be like, I just have that much more of an edge. I know I'm a big hulking dude, but I still have that edge in fencing. I'm a lot more, you know, fine tuned in my in my craft here, which I, I appreciated that little detail. I know for myself and Jonathan has said as much. We're both very happy you introduced this book. My exposure to Star Wars is very limited. Now, I know enough about it because Mm -hmm. of it being in the zeitgeist. It's just part of the culture. So I know the characters. I know the storyline. haven't watched any of the movies, Mm -hmm. but reading this book, I was captivated from the beginning. We both finished it really quickly. I love the Star Wars universe because I'll just compare it to Lord of the Rings. Like, there is no... Like, you have the Lord of the Rings and you have the Hobbit. And then for Star Wars, you have, you know, the trilogies, the sequel, the prequel, and the, the OT trilogy. So you have nine movies. That's the true canon verse, I guess you could say. And then for Lord of the Rings, you have the Silmarillion, which is the lore of, like, the start of the universe and everything up to the point to where they begin, you know, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Whereas in Star Wars, you don't have just one big, I guess, encyclopedia like the Silmarillion is. You have so many different books by so many different authors that thankfully it's all very continuitous. It's There are like some creative freedoms that's taken in a lot of other books too, but they all still culminate towards the one, like the trilogy um, for the for George Lucas's universe. And I really, really appreciated that. And that's why I love Star Wars so much because you can read a, a book by a different author and it's still the same universe, but it's either written from a different perspective or it has, you know, like this is the dark side. They're writing about the dark side. They're giving, you know, comparing it to Marvel, this is the Thanos-level threats that the Jedi and the good guys are facing. And they give it, you know, their motive 
their drive. They dive into the characters. This is why they're so powerful and so feared and so scary. I'm very fascinated with the dark side. I don't want to be, you know, a dark side wielder or anything, but I always like to play that line in between of, I don't want to be, you know, a goody two-shoe, and I also don't want to murder children. I like to pick and choose the best of both worlds. So when it comes to the Force and Star Wars and stuff like that, I love to play both sides and, and draw from what I can, and it's super, super intriguing for me. So I'm glad I could. So you only kill people over the age of 45? <laughs> <laughs> over the age of 45? Is that... <laughs> that Jonathan thinks you're a kid until you're 44. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I also find villains intriguing Mm -hmm. i like a good villain story in goodfellas that line where uh, not nikki but uh de niro's character when ray liotto's character is describing him he says he always rooted for the bad guys in the movies i wouldn't say i go that far maybe depending on the movie (laughs) but i've always found villains intriguing and this particular book part of the intrigue and why i enjoyed it was you got a really good look at one of the Dark Lords. Mm-hmm. And I've said this on the po- on the podcast, the first episode, and I repeated it, I'm sure, a couple times in the second, because Drew uh, Karpishan has written for video games, he's able to <laughs> yeah, tell a tight story. Yeah. And this story was definitely that short and sweet and to the point. Yeah. Every scene was... Yeah, and it was well done. It wasn't very breakneck either because some people who write green rights for video games or other types of media and then they go write books, that pace can change because it's mm-hmm. what's taking place in the mind of the reader instead of what you're actually visually seeing on screen that somebody created. So his transfer from writing the the KOTOR story, The Knights of the Old Republic, for Bioware and then also for Bioware, the Mass Effect series, Mm-hmm. great games like those yep. are some of my top five favorite games and then transferring into books it's not as breakneck or there's there's some lulls and stuff like that but in those lulls there's so much development and so much actually still happening but it's not snapping away at you know the next thing and then and then and then and then it's really well paced and i love love the way he writes he's He's written, I might have to Google it, but maybe five or six Star Wars books. He wrote the Bane Trilogy, so that's three. He wrote Darth Revan, which is one of my other favorite books. And I think We're going to get into Revan because I, I, yeah? I want you to... Yes. Well, I, let me say that differently. We're going to talk about Revan on this podcast because oh. I want you to talk to us about it Okay. in a bit. Okay. Yeah. I forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah. He, I think he's written like five or six. He wrote the Bane Trilogy. He wrote Darth Revan. And I think he wrote another of the Old Republic books. I think it was about Malgus or something like that, Darth Malgus. But that's there's so many Star Wars books. I'm not. You guys aren't going to read them all. I've. I don't even think I've read them all. I've read as many as I can. But the Bane trilogy, Revan, Shatterpoint. I'm actually the. There's a, a series, a trilogy on the the clones on a on a certain group of clones, commandos and stuff that's actually really, really cool too. I don't think Drew wrote those books, but those are probably like my favorites as far as, you know, actual literature and what it actually, you can take away from it rather than just another Star Wars book. Makes sense. All right. So I'm happy to have you on the podcast, Matt. Really like yeah, that you happy, and Happy Slava. to be here. Yeah. I was honestly very surprised at how much I liked this book. I don't dislike Star Wars by any means, but I'm certainly more of a fantasy genre person. And the first week that Slav and I started reading this book, I ended up finishing the whole thing <laughs> before the first episode. So 
Um, it's definitely one of those that you just you don't want to put down, man. It's tough. Yeah. And I like how it's it's emphasis it didn't emphasize the dark side either, where it's like, oh hey, these are the villains, these are the villains. It's like, no, this is just the perspective of the character that you're in. And I think Star Wars does a pretty good job of that. In you guys both touched on this earlier. We all love a good bad guy. Some of the greatest movies, the greatest books have a bad guy who has drive that yeah. is understood by the audience and bad guys that we don't like are shallow one-sided like i'm doing evil to do evil it's like well Mm -hmm. okay cool but like why like even thanos is a great he's a great bad guy where Mm -hmm. it's like he believed in depopulating the world because there was too much tear on resources yeah someone's gonna at me in the comments about like well that's not exactly why you know what you're probably i mean they did his whole story in one movie they had illusions and you know the other movies leading up to infinity war but infinity war was thanos's movie so and then i mean keeping it in the star wars universe darth vader arguably the greatest villain in the history of cinema or anything depending on who you talk to but it's it, a hero is only as good as his villain, and that's why so many people love Batman. I personally don't like Batman very much, but the Joker, another great example. Batman wouldn't be who he is without the Joker because the Joker plays the game just because Batman is also there playing with him. And they did that in yep. the Dark Knight is just like, I don't want to kill you. You're too much fun. <laughs> if I kill you, then yeah. what do I do? You know, what would, what would I right. do without you? And it's it's so good that, you know, this this book kind of gives the dark side and, you know, everybody's favorite evil a little bit more definition, I guess, when it comes to it. Because sometimes being evil for evil's sake can get pretty boring. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring a Batman and Joker. Because remember when we were kids, there was that animated series in the WB? Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, there is an episode in the scene where Joker says pretty much the same thing, like, where would I mm-hmm. where would I be without mm-hmm. you? And then in a different episode, they were gonna kill uh Batman and he stops the his his fellow evildoers from <laughs> killing Batman because he's like, No, I need Batman. Yeah. He's my the yin to my yang. I, we mm-hmm. can't we can't get rid of Batman. Yep. So Yeah. No, that's that's good. They did it. I don't know if you guys watched the Lego Batman either, but that's like the whole beginning yes. premise is just like, I hate you. And it's like the I love you. Like, say it. Say that you hate me so that I can be your bad guy. I'm your number one bad guy. I thought that was so funny and a great callback yeah. to, to Dark Knight. It was just like, I don't want to stop. Like, you can catch me all you want, Batman. I'm going to come out and I'm going to keep coming back. But at least recognize that I am your bad guy not Two-Face yeah. or Poison Ivy or whoever it is. Like, I, the Joker, I am your bad guy. Yeah, that was really well done. I watched the Lego movie. I, I laughed <laughs> my ass so off the whole thing. It was really good. It's, it's really a good. good. One. I've never seen it. Well, you're wrong <laughs> for yeah. that. I mean, you, you know. <laughs> well, you know, well, Matt, should we person. just kick him off our yeah, podcast Yeah, yeah, this is, this is oh, Sla- wow. Darth Slava and Matt's <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How quickly we've turned. <laughs> oh, how the turntables. How the turntables, <laughs> right. Well, I'm not much of a Star War, but okay. Um, it's been really great. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I guess I'll see myself out. Jeez. That was quick. What, I make it to 22 oh. episodes? Is that where we're at? 23? Oh, well. we'll 23. We'll wrap 23. up the Bane trilogy, and maybe we'll let you back on then. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Okay. <laughs> so what was I your guys' you, favorite parts about this? I, I, I listened to you your Dragon two Ball episodes. Z in book form. Well, we'll get to that one, sure. Matt's really taking over the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I just, I want to, I love, very few people in my life I can actually talk Star Wars to. Like, Jonathan, Jonathan's one of my best friends, and he, this is his <laughs> first iteration of, like, the Star real Wars. Star, well, not, I don't want to say real Star Wars, but, like, thinking about Star Wars on purpose for the sake mm-hmm. of, you know, entertainment rather than, oh, it's a movie on the screen, you know. Slava, between me, you, and the microphones, I never told <laughs> this to Matt, but I fell asleep during a preview of episode two. <laughs> That's fine. Like, the movies are very, uh, people, either you love or you hate them. It's an acquired taste as far as the universe is concerned. I was actually just talking to my girlfriend. She's a big Lord of the Rings fan. She likes Star Wars a lot, too. And then we were... I think we were trying to find a movie, and the Dune movie came up, and we're just like, oh, Dune, isn't that like a we're another about to big fantasy universe? And then she goes, man, I don't want to get into another fantasy universe. It's so hard. It's so much work. <laughs> I feel like that's you and Star Wars. But now I have I have <laughs> no. tickled that fancy. I have tickled yep. that itch. And now, hopefully, that thirst is going to stay for it's, a while. It's less about not wanting to get into it and and more so... I just love fantasy so much more than Star Wars or like sci-fi. Yeah. Even though I did start writing a sci-fi piece, sci-fi web series, actually. If you want, I'll read you the, the intro paragraph about the worlds before we finish here. But I just love fantasy so much more, and I don't know why. I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. No, that's fair, because I feel the same way about cyberpunk and sci-fi. I love dystopian. I like dark futures. I like straight sci-fi, like Dune. That in my in my world, that's straight straight sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to reading Dune again. But uh, no, Matt. Somebody last week when I was at work for this on-site that we had was she was hassling me. She's like, "Sci-fi is just fantasy in space," and I was <laughs> like, "No, it's so much more, really." No, it's not. And she's like, "Well, how is it different?" And I was like, "I mean, it's a really good question." And I and I have my thoughts on it, but I want to pose that question to both of you. Like, is sci-fi just fantasy in space? No, absolutely not. I mean, I, perfect example, I guess, the movie the movie The Island with Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. It's a cloning factory where rich people would just make clones of themselves and harvest organs from the from the clones. Spoiler alert on that movie. Great movie. You should still go watch it. That's sci-fi. I think it was, like, based in 2030. So, I mean... I don't think we're anywhere near clones right now in our world, but that's science fiction, but it's not in space. So, I mean, that's just the argument for in space. Yeah. Well, I sent you, when you texted me that, Jonathan, I sent you a definition that I Googled, and it's by a guy named Dr. Bishero Bandan, or Bandar. Oh, bless you. <laughs> he says, science fiction is a time-sensitive subject in literature, usually futuristic, Science fiction speculates about alternative ways of life made possible by technological change, and hence, sometimes has been called speculative fiction. Like fantasy and others associated with it, science fiction envisions alternative worlds. So I think that's the only connection it has between fantasy, is that it's an alternative world. It envisions something. It it transposes us into another world. It's not like Tom Clancy, Hunt for Red October, we're like, yeah, it's fiction, but I know Russia, I know America, I know what a submarine is. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, not to reduce that book just to those three things, <laughs> but but kinda, 
But kind of. <laughs> Simplification. Um, yeah, I think I would, I would classify sci-fi as anything that lives in space because space travel is, a, is an advanced technology. And although you don't have to explain faster than light travel, that is an element of sci-fi, like science fiction. Because we're working our way there. We, sh- we sent a freaking robot to Mars. We've sent the, I think it was Project Voyager. We talked about this in a different episode. Project Voyager has been out in space for like 58 years or something like that. Yeah, running on. Playing, you know, playing music and yeah. it's a golden disc and it has, let's call them artifacts, but it's engraved on it. So there's a piece of music, music, there's a piece of music on it, classical music, and there's other etchings in this golden disc. That if an intelligent being would see it, we assume, they assume, would understand <laughs> that we are also intelligent beings because we engraved something on a golden disc <laughs> and sent, sent it into space. We used emojis space. to... Please talk to us aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, that's, that's science fiction. It's mm-hmm. science fiction. Fantasy, on the other hand, lives in magic where it's inexplainable. I think Marvel did something interesting where they had Thor refer to it as magic but he's like it's just uh and someone one of the other people was like it's just science on a different level mm-hmm. and it's like okay i mean sure but the fantasy realms that i get involved in and i was just telling you this over while we were in some chipotle 30 minutes ago was there's this book that we're about to read called unsold which is dragon ball z in book form honestly if you read it between now and like a few weeks from now, Spencer has already started reading this series, so we're going to have him back on, but happy to have you both back on if you're interested Ooh, in diving into it. Yeah. Um, I'm a big DBZ fan. If it's, it's yeah, not it's, like, if it's, is it written like the manga, do you know? Um, it's have you not, very fast-paced. I haven't read the manga. Okay. You're right. That's a good assumption. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to circle back. Matt asked a question about 15 minutes ago. He's like, what's our favorite part of the book? (laughs) And I haven't forgotten. I would say one of my favorite parts was constantly not knowing where we were going next. Now, part of of that is that I don't know anything about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I've seen four, five, and six, and then I kind of watched two and three, and that's that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. But not knowing which planet we were going to, what was going to happen, and then the fast-paced nature of the writing reminded me a little bit of the Cradle series, which we're going to dive into, Unsold, the Dragon Ball Z thing, because it's like, it's go, 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 go. There's minor pit stops where you meet challenges. It's it's like a video game, you know? And, and then we found out that the guy who wrote it wrote Kotar, and he wrote, you know... Um, Mass Effect. Mass Effect, yeah. thank you, yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, this makes sense. So... That was definitely one of the one of my favorite. It's not like a scene mm-hmm. necessarily, yeah. but certainly one of the things that I was like, "Oh, this is nice." Yeah, he's definitely got the resume for Star Wars. And you said this, you don't have a whole lot of familiarity with the Star Wars universe, like going to the different planets. I'm sure they didn't make like Rusan, you know, where the majority of you know the bulk of the meat of this book kind of takes place. And then they have the callback to like, I'm just going to throw out Star Wars terms, Cortosis, like what they're mining in the beginning, Spice, stuff yeah. like that. All of these things that like they make sense in the Star Wars universe. But if you're reading this book and all you've seen is like the movies and even those you've only seen like once or twice, those are going to be your first introductions to this. But with me... I played, you know, all the Star Wars video games growing up as a kid, like when they had come out sequentially. So I didn't like get into the universe late. I grew up on it. So I had that kind of benefit or background. And in the KOTOR games, 
you can actually like structure your lightsaber as a game mechanic and add different crystals to give it different powers. Certain crystals give you more damage against droids. Others is just like you apply bleeding. It's it's similar to a Wizards of the Ghost, Wizards of the Coast, excuse me, structure as far as, you know, turn-based combat and everything as well. But they have these little things in that game that he was a part of when he wrote. It was like the a Rusan crystal and now we're at the planet Rusan. So it's just kind of little callbacks to lore in different pieces of, you know, right. all of these other iterations of Star Wars from other people. Oh, yeah, I remember that. At Rusan. We're on Rusan now. I had a crystal in my lightsaber, the Rusan crystal. And it's just all that kind of stuff. And then they go into Cortosis. Like, that's what starships are made out of. It's not just steel. All the materials in Star Wars are like Dura something, Dura steel, Dura plast, Dura Crete, stuff like that. But it's all really, really cool for me because... Reading the books now, I can see all of these little, uh, we'll just call them Easter yeah. eggs. It's just like, I recognize Tied that. together. I know this. I know this. And it just, it keeps building for me. And it, it's, I never tire of Star Wars. If I was going to pick a specific moment, and then I'll tap Slava in to, to chime in on his moment, it'd be Sibok. Because, gambling. Uh, well, it's gambling, <laughs> and I'm a big fan of that. But I liked how I didn't need to know anything about it, and I still understood the game completely. I get the two or three rules in the text. And then I watched the rest of it play out. Was it Sabak or could Pazak? I play? It was Sabak, Sabak in this book, right? Sabak. Sabak. And yeah. that's that's the, the uh, two fools. or twenty three, right? Twenty three. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Pazak and is so I really like. But... Okay, I really like when you can step into a book and they explain two or three things, and you have full context, and it's really more about what's going on in the scene mm-hmm. rather than the game they're playing. Yeah, this is really great. Slava. Yeah. 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 So. Overall, I enjoyed watching Darth Bane do his thing, like his internal monologues, how he, and we touched upon this in the episode, went to the archives to learn more, mm-hmm. how he played Githany and the his master. Kasim. Yeah. His end goal, he saw an end goal, which was to destroy the Sith, and he did it. Just his journey there, and the pace, of course, of him getting there, I enjoyed but I'm going to have to, and this is not a cop-out, it's just because it's true. It's the same thing. That game of Sabak, Jonathan was stuck at a grocery store for like 20 minutes just listening to the scene play out. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and I, I was I driving how... when I was listening to it, and, I, and I, luckily it was an express lane, so I wasn't going to crash into anything. But I was hooked. Lost I, it, yeah. I, I sat in my driveway and listened until it was done because it, it kept me... Well, you used a really good word in the beginning, intrigued. I was intrigued by this story. I was intrigued by the character. And that scene was really well written. Above all the other scenes, I think. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Yeah. And I like Blackjack. I like playing Blackjack. So it reminded me of Blackjack. Mm -hmm. Uh, High risk, high reward. Yeah. Well, that scene, it had so many different... Well, the players it had so many different characters too that he gave nuanced descriptions of, like the ensign, the the commander, or the captain, or whatever the officers were, and then the other miners that were playing, getting ready to go on night shift, or the guys coming in, coming off of day shift. Like it was mm-hmm. just those subtleties, but it didn't stop, turn the reader's attention and say, "Hey, this person showed up," but they're not going to be important. It was just a people shuffled in and out. You know, it's it's like uh, the, the movie 21. It's uh, funny enough about Blackjack when he is sitting there in the casino for the first time and like everything is happening so fast around him, but the camera's just panning and he's moving at normal pace, you know, just tossing chips. That's what I feel like that scene 
is from like a visual representation. Everything's kind of happening, but he, the Bane, the character, is still very present and a part of the situation. Was, yeah, I agree. That was a very, very well written part. And somebody who's played blackjack at at a table in a casino. And it was a $25 a hand. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, so I'm not trying to paint myself as some sort of a, a professional gambler. But this was like my first time gambling in a casino. And I had played blackjack before this. And there is this like rush to it. You're laser focused on what's going mm-hmm. on. And you got these people around you, different kinds of gamblers, the obnoxious bastards to the, the other serious <laughs> ones. And here I am, a kid. I'm like, yeah. what? I'm not even 22. I think I just turned 21. And my friend took me to the casino and I played, came in with $200. I went to the, you know, like the penny slots. I was like, forget this. Let's go to the blackjack tables. Went to the blackjack table that was 25 a hand, was up 400, and then it went down back to 200, and then lost the 200 I came in with. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I'm good. So I learned my lesson. But I understand the rush you get with it where you're, you know, and mm-hmm. they were playing against each other. So it's a little bit different than if you're playing the, the, the dealer. But still, when you're in that zone, you're in that zone, mm-hmm. and having that experience and listening to the scene that was already, like I've said, well written. You get introductions to these characters. You there's a buildup to before the cantina owner shoots the phaser into the into the <laughs> ceiling. It's just a really well done scene. Mm-hmm. Now I wanna I wanna transition because this is a great opposite question. Some of the worst scenes in the book, and I think we're going to really just dive into this because Matt started talking about it when we were having dinner real quick, um, the ending. Slava, why don't you run us through the deus ex machina and the, <laughs> and then Matt, yeah. dive in on that afterward. Yep, yep, yep. I'll let both of you guys have it. I was a little disappointed with how it ended. I was fine with Githany dying. As she was crawling out of the cave, I thought she was going to be his number two. And I was okay with that. I was like, that, that, that didn't seem like a cop-out to me. From Carpitian, I didn't see that as a cop-out. But then she dies. I'm like, all right. So he's getting off the planet because there's book two. I wonder where his number two is. And then the crash with the little girl and this kid killing two Jedis. And he's like, oh, you might work. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, teach me the dark side, strange guy. And then they vomit us off the planet. And it didn't make me hate the book. Or anything, but I was like, "Ah, oh, come on, man!" Like I said in the episode, if you heard it, I yep. I wished that if I was writing the book, right, crawling up my own butt here. <laughs> but if, if I wished that uh, he would have just left the planet and we would have picked up in a prologue in the second book about him finding this girl, mm-hmm. one scene that I didn't like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan, go ahead. You 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 spout your least favorite parts. It's really just the ending. It, I I was caught off guard with the fact that Githany didn't become the co-two person, the the apprentice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think originally you told me about. I was just like, oh, that's a surprise. But the instant follow-up is what really got me. Of like, oh, hey, there's this new character. It's a girl you've never met her before, and she gets picked. And it's like, at least write an epilogue. Like, give me a little more. Give me. Her backstory, yeah. like, where did she come from? Where is she gone? Like, something more than just like, hey, and suddenly this person's in the story. And the book's over. See you guys. And yeah. it's just like, what? Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, if he found her and she showed ability with the Force, and then he killed the Jedi and swooped her out and rescued her, then she owes him, or she feels like she owes him something, 
And so she becomes an apprentice and grows, you know, in the way of the dark force. Mm -hmm. But again, I say that only because I'm nitpicking. Yeah. The so. Gotcha. So we'll just start with that point then, because the Sith kind of theology is strength recognizes strength. So I don't think if that would have been Drew's vision of like, oh, he rescues his apprentice. I don't think Bane or any Sith Lord or the Sithari, which you'll learn about in the other books, is like the Anakin's version of the Sith is the chosen dark side leader to kind of bring about the dark side or the will of the force in the dark side. So I don't think that would have been... I think that would have been a little bit more volatile in a lot of hardcore nerds. This is like, oh, he just rescued some child and then he decided to teach her the ways of the force. It had to be a way of like, wow, she did something crazy powerful. She may not have wanted it to happen or chose that to happen. It just kind of did. And then that was a, a ping in the force of just like, oh, wow, you know, something happened. Something very sinister or something bad happened. And then Bane recognized that and goes, I need to find the source of that. And that is what I want to bring in to the fold and embrace and strengthen to bring about, you know, the future of the dark side. So I think that that's why it kind of went that way. I wasn't mad about Githany dying either. I didn't have much of an attachment to her when I read the book, at least the first couple times. I always thought of her as just like the distraction. Like she was the she was the the red uh, the red blanket for the ox. And just you want to blow right through her to get to the next thing because she was there, she was described, and she was very manipulative, which was good. And Bane learned from that. You read that in quite a few passages too. It's just like he learned so much from everybody that he was, you know, around. But when she died, I was just kind of like, okay. About time. <laughs> For me personally, it was just like, I didn't feel like she had that much of a future. They did a good job of describing her, but they didn't get in too much depth of like her character when she had shown up. She did show up, I think, a little over halfway into the book anyway, when he had, I think he had just lost to Siroc when she came in, or maybe it was before. I think it was after. I think it was after. Because he was at his low point when she showed up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a good... I don't want to say a MacGuffin, but it was a good way to be like, they showed Bane at his peak. at Well, peak Bane from where we saw him so far. And then he fell. He lost to Siroc, and he became, you know, the Fallen. And he was just pretty much a destitute Sith in an academy that nobody wanted to touch. He was a leper, pretty much. And then this Githany shows up, and she's like, you fought the number one big dog. I can learn from you, and I'll teach you what I know because nobody's teaching you. So Bane sees this as he recognized it pretty much right away. It was just like, she's manipulating me, but I can manipulate right back. It's just, all right, who's going to be the better manipulator here? And then, like you said, he goes into the archives and does all of this just knowledge-seeking, and that's where it really starts for Bane. As like His path down the dark side didn't start with him just being in the Sith army, it was, I had fallen so far from something that was supposed to make me strong. Now I have to do it all on my own in ways that nobody else says is going to work. And I thought that was super cool. <laughs> it yeah. was, it wasn't like a hand wave, like he's a Mary Sue. It was, he earned with through blood, sweat, tears, and broken bones. He sat in that back to tank for like three weeks, I think after his, his fight. And he pretty much was just defeated. He was, at rock bottom, and he climbs up out of that hole 
and becomes Darth Bane. And I just thought that was yeah. so cool. Yeah, no, it was. And to the your initial answer to my complaint about the ending, I think that's a very fair. Like I didn't even think of that, but but you're that's why you're here. You're the expert <laughs> in the Star Wars. So that that to me that's a, a fair explanation. Um, I still would have wanted to know more about the girl, like Jonathan said. But again, I'm nitpicking. What do you think, Jonathan? Uh, you didn't sway my opinion. I, from all the books that I've read, like what's another 16 pages with an epilogue about the character to give me a little more backstory, to give me a little more, more some, or don't introduce her, just introduce like, and now I'm going to start the rule of two. And then it's like, okay, well, let's see what happens with that. And just like remove her entirely. Mm-hmm. And like, because otherwise there wouldn't be a complaint if you introduced her in the beginning of book two, because it's like, oh, well, we're going to find out about her. You know what I mean? It's it's simply that it was like the last chapter. Hey, this is happening. Boom, it's done. And it like that's not a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. That feels like a it, it, it feels like it was misplaced. Off. Yeah, it was yeah. misplaced. I think I you talked about it in your guys' second episode, I think, about like maybe it was just rushed, like the writing. I don't know if he wrote one book and then the other and then the other. I don't know if he just wrote the story of Darth Bane and they just needed spots to cut it off. I don't know. I think I've read the book about a dozen times, I think I said. But it's at the ending when they introduce her. Like the cutoff before that was Thought Bomb Explodes, Githany Dies, the one who everybody thinks is going to be, you know, Darth Bane's apprentice, the number two in the Rule of Two. Um, so then you're just like, well, now where do we go? Because they have already established like what the rule of two is, and that is pretty much Bane's like that's his ambition. You know, he's going to destroy the armies of light and dark, and bring about the will of the Force through the dark side through the rule of two. That was thousands of years before. But I think for the ending for the first book, it was good to kind of bring about, because you guys haven't read the second book yet. It'll make more sense in the second book, but it was, book one was all about Bane and the start of the journey, and book two is actually called The Rule of Two. Like, book one's Path of Destruction, book two is The Rule of Two, and that is where it gets into, I can't even remember, her name's Rain, I think, right? The kid, the child's name, the little girl. I think her name's I don't Rain. Remember. Something like that. It doesn't stick very long, obviously, because I, even I don't remember much of it, because she gets her Darth name, like, almost immediately in the next book. So it picks up very quickly. I think you'll appreciate that, Jonathan, and it'll make the ending not suck for you as much, I think. But we can talk about that at, at book two's finish. In book two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in book two. Okay, talk to us about Revan, right? So, like, I think the Drew, the author, did a really good job at introducing this, you know, old wise man guide for Bane. And he has to go out in search of additional Darth Lord powers and, and information. And he already started doing that in the archives, which was great. I, I love a good archives. It speaks to me about the wisdom of the character if they go and try and seek out knowledge in the books. And then he goes, and then Revan is basically, like, giving him all this information. And you happen to have a massive Revan tattoo. On my forearm, yep. So talk to us about Revan, because I'm super curious. I Like, there's so much information about Revan 
just seeded into the second half of this book mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, if you're not asking questions about Revan, you should be. Mm-hmm. So the rule of two, we'll just we'll we'll just go timeline here. The Darth Bane series takes place three thousand years, roughly three thousand years BBY, which is Battle Before Yavin, which is Episode Four. Okay, A New Hope. That that is the Star Wars time. It's not like three thousand, you know, star date or whatever. It's BBY is Battle Before Yavin. That is the Star Wars like BC AD. So Battle Before Yavin, three thousand years, Darth Bane trilogy. Okay. A thousand years before that is the Darth Revan story. And that is actually the the game Knights of the Old Republic that came out in two thousand three that Drew actually wrote was about Revan. It was actually like a midpoint in his life towards like you know, the end. His that game takes place in between his from a video game mechanics point it was just that he was knocked out and then has had his memory erased and now he has to regain all of his powers so that's the progression based of like a a video game but they took that as the story of darth revan started you learn all of this in the game there's no book about this the book is actually a a, about you know his life after the video games i'm not going to spoil anything as far as the book is concerned because we're going to read that don't worry but the game it, you go through several different missions and stuff, and you go through as you don't know. You create your character to look like however you want, and that is, you know, Revan. Revan has a canonical right. He's a human male. That's his canonical personality and stuff like that. But you go through with this character. Her name is Kreia, and she teaches you how to regain your force abilities and stuff like that. And you learn more and more through like flashbacks and force ties and stuff like that, that he was actually a part of the Jedi Civil War before that, or not the Jedi Civil War, the Mandalorians and the Jedi were at war for a significant period of time. And he was tired of the Jedi not taking part because he's just like, we, I want to go help these people. You know, I want to go defeat the Mandalorians and stuff like that. But the Jedi kind of shunned him or just like, no, that's not the Jedi way. No, 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 no. So he decided to take his own army of Jedi and defeat the Mandalorians and fight the Mandalorians. They go into deep space. And I'm paraphrasing here. Please don't get mad at me in the comments, all you nerds. They go into deep space and they were searching for like the, the source of this evil, of this darkness. And they run into the source of the evil. And they actually turn... Darth Revan and his his best friend Malak, who was also a Jedi, into servants of the dark side, and they become Sith lords. And then he sends them along with an entire Sith army, like troopers and stuff like that, back into, you know, the core worlds, which is kind of the center of the, the galaxy, and bring about, you know, destruction and take over the universe and stuff like that. That's where the game picks up, because... This girl named Bastila Shan, who is a Jedi, comes in and sieges your vessel, winds up knocking you out, and that's how you get your memories erased. So the Jedi Council actually erased Revan's memories, and then that's where the game picks up. At the end of the game is where Revan goes back and he ends up defeating Malak because Malak wasn't saved. And then the book starts of Revan and Bastila get married, or have been married and have a kid now. And then Revan still feels something in his bones. Like, there's still that evil out there. Like, we didn't actually solve that. Uh, You know, I was defeated by it, but we didn't actually fix it. So, How do you feel about the memory wipe story plot line? 
Does it feel plausible? Because when I hear about it, I go, really? I think before the phenomenon of why Revan was so cool, it was a great way to just introduce, you know, from a game mechanics point of like, brand new character. I didn't think they were going to have this giant cult following of Revan of just like, he's the coolest character in Star Wars. Okay. I think it was just a, this is a game mechanic. This is why you're here. You were a cool person, or cool person. You were really good at using the Force and like a master swordsman and stuff like that, but now you're not. You know, that'd be a terrible, I mean, I don't think it would be a terrible game, but it wouldn't be as fun if you just start out as Superman and then you play through a game and you don't get anything. There's no progression. So this is just the way of introducing the game mechanic of progression. All right, fair enough. So I'd, I didn't mind it. It might have been a little bit of, you know, writer's hand-waving for content's sake, but... I, I personally didn't mind it, but I also played it when I was, like, 14. Yeah, And I think in a science fiction world where you have a force, eh, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. These people fly spaceships and have, you know, <laughs> laser guns. <laughs> Don't at me. I, you know what I mean. But, yeah, if, if, if you can choke somebody with the force... And, you know, like crack their skull open. I'm sure they have a thing that can erase memories. But to me, that's plausible. I'm Mm -hmm. totally okay with it is what I'm saying. They do actually explain in the second KOTOR game, the character you play as canonically is Mitra Surik, is a Jedi who followed Revan into the Mandalorian Wars, committed atrocities and stuff like that, came back into the Jedi Council instead of following him to deep space. And they actually cut you off from the Force, in quotes. And that is where you start the game. Is just like you have very little connection left of the force but you gain it back by going through progression in the game interesting so that's that's why that is that it is and in star wars you it's kind of like magic you know i don't like comparing it to magic but the force is comparative to magic it's yeah it's something that encompasses everything and certain people have the ability to control that it's not a material but control that thing that is the force so that's why they can pick stuff up telekinetically, influence minds, influence the will on certain things, and, you know, calm, you know, wild animals and stuff like that, too. It's There's a lot that the Force can do that is certain Jedi, certain Sith have different affinities to it. Like, not everybody can control animals. Not everybody can influence entire armies with a battle meditation type ability where they just are stronger, more more speedy or something like that or shoot straighter they have more focus not everybody has every like the same skill tree we'll say which is Mm -hmm. which is really cool so that way they can introduce new characters that have these cool new abilities depending on who creates them so the force is pretty much like infinite in that aspect of instead of hand waving oh this person knows this they don't have to go back into because of they just say the force is there this is their like affinity which i think is really cool yeah it makes sense yeah. yeah, we worked at work. We to pass the time. Sometimes we play games like, "What's your favorite superhero? What's your favorite villain?" And one of the questions that was posed by the person who started this game was, "What superpower would you have?" And both her and I said, "Mind control." And then when I was reading this book, I was like, "Yeah, this type of mind control. I would love to have <laughs> the Sith, the Sith type of mind control." Yeah, yeah. Only from a Russian. <laughs> That's a good question. Jonathan, what would uh, what would your superpower be? Teleportation. Teleportation. Through space and time, like oh. Nightcrawler. Okay. Through space and time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. 
I've thought about this a variety of times. Originally, it was invisibility, but that doesn't stop sound. And then it was like, well, flying would be cool. And then I was like, actually, I just want to teleport places. That's fair. Now, do you get to keep your clothes when you teleport? Yes. Just, okay. Yes. Because, hey, super so you have this the ability to teleport objects, not just, not just yourself. Because it's myself be and anything I'm touching. Okay. Because sometimes Nightcrawler grabs people and then teleports them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my Those go-to. Those those carefully worded wishes. I was actually going to ask Matt what about wishes. You ruined it for me. Matt, what would your superpower be? Well, I I mean, would you consider the Force a superpower? Yeah, that's fine. And telekinesis. The force. <laughs> so that way I can kind of get... So telekinesis. I would call I, well, it telekinesis. If I pick the Force, then I can pick, you know, whatever my draw would be where I can control animals, I can control minds, I can inflict my will on the feeble-minded and stuff like that. Signature telekinesis. Then yeah. if I just had to pick a power, then... I think telekinesis, yeah, would probably be the coolest. There's so much. It's the, it's the closest thing to well, Chronicle the did force. it so well. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Chronicle, but no. that is I don't think so. that's I've seen the Chronicles such Riddick. an under underrated movie. It's filmed from like a camcorder. Like no, okay, it's super good. I I heard you. Chronicles of Riddick, Hardy Har Har, <laughs> totally destroyed. <laughs> Just the ignoring Riddick. me. Anyway, wait, um, is it a game or something? <laughs> I only knew it as a movie. Cro- Chronicle or Chronicles of Riddick? Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, so you had Riddick, Pitch Black, and stuff like that where it was, this is going on a side quest here. (laughs) Welcome Um, to the show. (laughs) Riddick was just like this super, I don't know if he was, and here I go, I don't know if he was like a super assassin or if he's just a super mercenary or he's just a- Super soldier of some kind? Something. He's a Furian, so he's from another planet. There's a lot like him, but- they all died because everybody was scared of, you know, the stronger being, the apex humanoid, I guess. So they killed sure. them all, and he's one of very few left. But in the first movie, the first Riddick movie, he was pretty much just, like, run, not running away, but, like, hunting the people who were hunting him, kind of like Predator style, which I thought was cool. But then Chronicles of Riddick introduced, like, necromongers, I think, and it was just... It, there was no, like lore to Riddick. I feel like it was just super unnecessarily rich in like, this is the world of Riddick now. It's like, nobody really asked for that. I didn't thoroughly enjoy the movie from, you know, a content standpoint. It was cool to to watch it and be like, yeah, this is a this is an action movie. But it was very it was hard to swallow as far as this is what the universe Riddick is in. This is just weird. Okay. Got it. I wasn't sure if there was like some sort of book or something that it was based on. There's like a comic series, I think, but I think there's like four movies. There's, they made a fourth one. I knew maybe about there's three of maybe them. there's three or four. I think there's a cartoon. I don't know. Not a big Riddick anyway. fan. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Matt, have you ever read Monkey's Paw? No, you have talked to me about it a couple of times, or maybe not talked to me about it, but hinted at it. I, I recognize so, the title. The, the the gist of it is there's it's a really short story. It's like uh, on audiobook it's like twenty two minutes, like super short. It dives right into the action. It's it's almost like a slice of life meets a single scene from a larger story. You could even call it a parable. Anyway, the gist of it is this monkey's paw was blessed by a Muslim fakir. Fakir. I think a curse would be more apt. Yeah, you're right. It is cursed. It was cursed by a Muslim fakir to grant three wishes to three different individuals. 
and it gets into the hands of the third person. The first person killed himself. The second person had it and was trying to get rid of it. And the third person, we follow along in the story. Anyway, it's about wishes. And so the the guy wishes for, he's just like, I'm, I got three wishes. I'll just try it out. I wish for 200 pounds. And then he thinks he feels the paw move and nothing happens. The next day, his son is dead and they reimburse him 200 pounds. Second wish his wife uses to try the, to... The company the company that he works for, he dies on the job site. Oh, okay. And so this is kind of like, to pay for the funeral, here's 200 pounds. Gotcha. Right. So the gist of it is they end up canceling the next two wishes. Uh, you should read it. But that led Slava and I to a question of, what would you wish for if you... Because I don't think this episode's out yet. Or it actually just came out last week or something. Just came out two days yeah. ago. What would you wish for... If you had the opportunity to make a wish, uh, three wishes even, and I so, can't wish for more wishes. Um, no, <laughs> obviously that's. I had to think that's, about it. Uh, there's always rules to the whole. Like you have one wish, what would you wish for? More wishes. Well, so that's not really a part of the deal. <laughs> Slava's going to take the first and third. Cause, so you're going to do three wishes, Matt, because mm-hmm. this is kind of a fun thing. And then I'm going to take the second wish. But you wish for something, and then Slava and I tell you the cost. We have to break of it. your wish. Yeah. It's it's similar oh, to the wish spell. Okay. In yeah. DD. I know I know a game similar to this. I know. Yeah, you do. Um, you get it. I would wish for all the money in the world. We'll just say that. Ooh, okay. So I'm breaking this one? Oh yeah. You're breaking the first and the third. Okay. So all the money in the world. Nobody else has any money. Like you are now Lord Supreme of all the money. <laughs> <laughs> so because Matt Matt owns all the money. I have I am the bank. You are the bank. So now you know what it's like to be Jewish. <laughs> I was gonna make a Jewish joke. I didn't know if this was that kind of podcast. Um, <laughs> now so I know it is. Too. Perfect. Well, Jonathan fa- got kicked out of a got kicked out of a art school, so it's now become that kind of <laughs> <podcast>. woof. <laughs> woof. No, oh I'm kidding. boy, that's. Please, oh. censors. Or, yeah, nobody cares. You're editing like, the you podcast. Can, you can make fun of Christians and Jews all day long, as long as you don't touch the, touch the other uh, anointed. Don't say Hitler. Yeah. Matt. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, so if you have all the money in the world, the only thing that comes right now that to break that, you have now also made enemies of all the world. You, like, Even those who are beholden to you because they're either sycophants or quizzlings, you now have amassed billions of enemies who (laughs) will not allow you to live in peace. Even with all the, if you have all the money, you can buy all the security, right? Mm -hmm. But you you still have, it takes one guy with a, with a dynamite vest to get, you know? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) We're going into all sorts of political, uh, oh boy, (laughs) political rabbit holes here. All right, Matt. Uh, So based on those results from your wish, what's your second wish? That's your new reality. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's a progression of wishes. Mm-hmm. So you are now holed up, and wherever you're holed up, you have a comfortable life, but you can't sleep at night. <laughs> Is it really that comfortable? I wish though? for a sleep the in world? a bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Is that your real wish? No. No. <laughs> okay. I've got all the money. I can buy all my sleep number beds. Um. <laughs> man, I wish. For can it be like a power? It can be anything. 
Okay. Uh, I wish for the gift of foresight. Mm, prophecy and divination. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get the gift of foresight and you start having the capability and the muscle to tap into it while you're sleeping, similar to, to vivid dreaming and, sorry, lucid dreaming. And you also can tap into it in sort of a meditative state, which you think is pretty great. But that then makes it so that every action you take, you have become paranoid. It affects Ooh, okay. where you're going to make new choices. And so now now your social ability to interact with other humans has become negative two charisma. Uh, because you're always <laughs> thinking My stats in, are decreasing. <laughs> you're you're thinking in twelve D chess and you're rambling you sound like a madman. Uh huh. So Every, what's your third wish? Everybody hates me anyway. I can talk like a madman. Gosh, so my third wish. Then. But at least you have all the money. I have all the money. I can see into the future. Everybody hates me. What can I make people hate me more <laughs> with? <laughs> um, I wish for my own planet, like to where I can pretty much move to my own planet with all of my resources and abilities. And, and okay, Uncle be. Elon. it's tough that third one was tough that third one was tough yeah all right so i get three two yeah you gotta ruin it also i get three also so you have all the world's monetary resources because of your divination abilities you're constantly in a state of state of panic and you're paranoid and you according to Jonathan Ramble like a lunatic <laughs> um, like Tom at the end of yeah. Way of Kings so okay you get your own planet you're transported to your own planet but you're the only one there you have the money <laughs> you have the money everything is transported your resources and your abilities transported but you are alone on a planet that's inhabitable you, you, get, you get to breathe outside you get to walk around outside but the whole planet is you and the plants. All right, finally, peace and quiet. <laughs> and your and your ramblings about Me and the my future. ramblings. That's fun. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's a fun little. Maybe I'll bring that into my next D and D campaign. I think that's you pretty, should pretty nifty. You should give every. You should let level one characters make wishes. <laughs> oh just man! Just have a negative. Bring up. Just oh be like, yeah. I want the most powerful sword in the universe. Good. It takes shape of your arm. <laughs> <laughs> And it's got a mind of its own. <laughs> ah. That's cool. Well done. Well played. And every time you ri- you roll wild magic for them, <laughs> um, it takes a swing at their head because it wants uh, sentience. It, and it needs it the blood of its host. You. That's funny. Oh, that's Ooh. good. <laughs> Slava, cool. I think getting you to play D&D would be a pretty good time. It would be a blast. Hey, I'm, I'm for it. I've never played, so I'm... I'm all for it. Maybe Matt will run us through a um, a one-off campaign. I'll do a uh, I'll do a four or five sessions. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Something like that. It could be could be a good time. We'd have to figure out the logistics. I'll I'll start but, the podcast uh, for that. We'll just do one shots. Uh, that would be a riot. <laughs> I mean, it could be a new roll twenty. What is it? What's the big one that Matt Mercer runs? Critical role. Critical role. Yeah. Yeah, which they're a they bunch actually of decided to separate from Wizards of the Coast, and they're starting their own TTRPG. Well, it's about time. Um, well, the whole Sanderson's world is about to get a tabletop role playing game next year. Really? There's oh, so yeah. many. I didn't realize how many TTRPGs there are. 
for different like, lot. universes. There's like, a lot. There's a Star Trek one from like the 50s, apparently. Oh, yeah. Like I had no idea. I was at my girlfriend's parents' house and he whipped out like his old school like parchment of like wow. it was the different kinds of like spaceships, like the Klingons. Um, I'm not a big Star Trek buff, but there was like f- 10 or 11 different races of ship or races that had their ships and mm-hmm. they had like your fighters, you had your cruisers, you had your dreadnoughts, you had, uh, there was a couple, but they each had like shield levels. So when you do damage to a ship on a certain side, that shield barrier goes down by the damage that ha- it's we're going down another rabbit hole with TTRPGs, but the Star Trek one is super in depth from like, yeah, from like the fifties. And then you got Wizards of the Coast with D and D. You've got Star Wars ones, Lord of the Rings ones. All there's kinds another of one universes. That's a sci-fi one called Traveler from 1970s. I've um, heard of that. Yeah, I think that was a pilot for Pathfinder. Actually, was it? I think so. The Pathfinder's like D and D's rival offshoot. offshoot. Yeah, it was. It was more of an offshoot. But yeah, people just want to do improv with their friends with mm-hmm. minor rule sets. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to do. It's super. It's a good fun. time. It's super fun. Yeah. I'm in three campaigns right now. I'm not DMing anything right now, unfortunately, but I'm in three campaigns, and it's it's fun. I love D&D. Super it's fun. a good time. Well, should we land this plane? I have one. I did say at the beginning that I would read you the intro to my sci-fi piece if you wanted. Let's do it. I did pull it up. Um, I am perched. I think this will be the first time it goes public. Ooh. So, Privilege. Um it's protected by copyright laws. <laughs> Trademark. Yeah. I Jasmine. own this. Don't steal my shit. <laughs> you probably wouldn't do a very good job of it. Anyway. Well, Chad GPT can transcribe <laughs> this audio now. AI would all write better than you. <laughs> oh, boy. This is going to be rough because I don't remember the last time that I looked at this. Um, <laughs> Should you edit here it we go. before you share it again? Nah. I mean, I haven't touched it in a while, and send I think it. about it Just often, but it. it's a f- we're going to run this live. Now give us a setup before you. Uh, no, this is the setup. Read. This is the intro. This is the setup. This, this is, is about this is like world building here. World building. Okay. Okay. Send it. Let's do it. All right. Valura and Farino were once a single planet. Only the third oval-shaped planet ever known to have existed, called Elvafrun. What happened was that there was a nearby star, Lugafol, that offered light and life. It was sucked into a black hole and then spit back out into smaller pieces as if the black hole wasn't a black hole, but rather a creature, something swimming through space, devouring energy, sucking life out of it, and spitting it out, and spitting out the unwanted pieces that remained. When it spit them back out into smaller portions, they were like bullets. They were covered green, purple, and yellow and flamed, dancing against the black velvet. Two large pieces went directly through Elvifrun, rendering the ovular planet into two lopsided partial spherical planets, killing a chunk of the inhabitants, Uh, and sending the now two planets in opposite directions. The strangest piece of this was that these two partial planets should have slowly died, becoming barren. However, the center of the planet held a strange amalgamation of molten gas that was released upon its separation, and the nebulous gas quickly encompassed each half like water directly around the planet, as if the gas shielded it. The molten seemed to try and rebuild the planet as it was being destroyed, Neither planet was fully was fully rebuilt, but both look much better than they should have. Both planets now barreling in opposite directions and slowly trying to regrow their inhabitants. Death still sitting before them, 
if they don't have light sources to bring about a similar existence as they did moments ago. Call it an act of God, call it destiny, but both planets found strange gravitational streams that sucked them both into nearby systems in the exact places close enough to a new light source to offer light and life. It was as if a big bang happened again, on a smaller scale. One anomaly after another preserved these planets and their inhabitants. Many ask how we were able to recover such information on the planet, but we can't scan it and learn more about it like we did with other planets. MIRI, the Ministry of Interstellar Research and Intelligence, discovered a way to send a single-unit probe into black holes while maintaining contact with a satellite just outside the gravitational pull of the hole, absorbing the memory of the black hole. They found that black holes, while all individual, are also linked together through a gaseous light inside them. It's all very surreal that we're to a place like this with our technology, our humanity. The end. The uh, military force in this story is called STAR, which stands for something that I wrote down somewhere on this very long eight-page paper. Specialized Tactical Aerospace Analytics and Reconnaissance. STAR. Hmm. S-T-A-A-R. That's it. That's the outro. My what, uh, what second draft of this. perspective was that written from? Because you said we, I, me, and stuff like that. It's probably from the reconnaissance team that's on the ship. So basically the gist of this story ends up happening where it's kind of like Halo. You crash, you, well, you don't crash, but you go down onto a planet where there was a crash, which is one of these, uh, I think it was going to be Valora that's talked about in the first paragraph. And this squad is going to investigate because their scans don't allow them to see anything past the cloud barrier. And they go to investigate the life force, why there was a crash here that they couldn't recover. And the team is Fireteam Delta. There's a lieutenant commander, senior troop person which is like an e8 an operations person which would be an e0 through two maybe do you have Uh, a rank structure for this i base it off of the military well each branch has its own rank. i know it's different i think i base it off the army i haven't looked at this since i wrote this in 2014 okay so it's been a decade since i've looked at it there's also a dog special ops dog didn't have a name but special ops dog like canine (laughs) yes Nice. <laughs> um, have you, either of you, have you seen that YouTube video called Too Many Cooks? Yes. Mm-mm. Yep. When you started saying star, I was reminded of Too Many Cooks. Really? I don't remember it that well, I guess. Because they have a they have a star in it, too. It was like, yeah, stellar technological aerospace assholes reconnaissance or something. <laughs> really? Like, like I'm, I'm, yeah, they, they have, like, so... Like, Look up too many cooks and like fast forward to the place where they're in space. I will. I think the Predator universe too has like star labs or whatever. It's like special terrestrial and something. I don't remember, but yeah. No, so that's no, that's no slight of Jonathan. It just reminded me. <laughs> Look at Jonathan. No, just for your, uh, yeah, for your essay, I have a very weird, dry sense of humor. And the way I've uh, described it, you take Tom Segura's delivery, <laughs> but Norm McDonald's material, <laughs> and you have my humor. So this 20-minute godforsaken video called Too Many Cooks, which is a riff on TV shows, and it's like this meta 
meta joke or whatever you want to call it on how formulaic TV can sitcoms. get. sitcoms. I could watch it for, you know, on a loop <laughs> for two hours because I will just laugh like a, like a lunatic. Yeah. That's funny. I'll have to check that out. That's on YouTube? Yeah. Two it's on cuts. YouTube. It's an Adult Swim piece. It's an old, it's um, an old piece. It's a very old piece. Uh, too many cooks. Too many cooks. I'll have to check that. And out. yeah, well, coming in for. I think that's the episode, unless you guys got something else. <laughs> no, no, because this is going to turn into a too many cooks video if we continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe it's too many Slavas, huh? Maybe. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. See, this is this is what happens to we, we digress into <laughs> babbling like like we messed up on our second wish. Um, <laughs> well, well, I just can't wait for you guys to get into more Star Wars so I can come out and talk to you guys more because oh heck it's, yeah, absolutely it's awesome. I love I love just talking. Well, about you're Star welcome Wars, back so. uh, for any books that you've also read, and you know yeah. if you read this DBZ style book, Cradle, Unsold is book one. They're Matt's also on reading Audible? Warbreaker right now. Okay, so he's, how are you liking Warbreaker? Uh, halfway through. I yeah, I think I'm on chapter sixteen or seventeen. It's been a while since I had picked it up again. I think it's been almost a month, but um Okay. It's that's his it's first good. Sanderson piece. Yeah. I like it. It's it uh it's definitely a universe to be invested in, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like it. My Sanderson immersion into the Sanderson world was with uh Warbreaker. No, not Warbreaker. Warbreaker? No. What's the show? Yeah, we read story Warbreaker one. first. Warbreaker, yeah. And then we oh, read the short story The Shadows for Hell and the Shadows for Silence and this Forest. Forest of Hell. Okay. That was the short story. Okay. I think you told me about that one. I wanted to start yeah. with that one, but I thought I'd just, you know, Warbreaker. Just That cool. one is perceivably a standalone at the moment. Warbreaker or Well, Warbreaker's a standalone book. There's no sequels. However, there are overlaps. It's continuous in, in Sanderson's universe though, right? Yes. Yeah. So there's the Cosmere as a whole. Cosmere. There you go. Yeah. But Warbreaker, there are characters, Vasher and Nightblood, mm-hmm. um, who you will see again in um, additional books, specifically in the Stormlight Archives. Okay. Later down the road. Yeah. No, that's that's it's a, it's a fun book. It's a fun universe to get into. I'm excited to keep reading it. But uh, this DBZ one, that, that piques my interest. Yeah, two weeks ago I started book one, and I'm on book eight. <laughs> oh, you said they're pretty quick yeah. reads, yeah. Well, you read they're it, what, three reads. times pace, too? Okay, yeah. calm down. It's 2.25. It's different. Okay, that's still, like, <laughs> way too much. <laughs> I have to listen to it Here's at Here's the pace. thing, though. When it's a new book that I haven't read, I'll do it at, like, 1.75. If I've read it before and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, rem- I want to remember this story, I'll bump it up to two. And if I've read it like two or three times already, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to bump it up to 2.25. I don't have to f- put all of my focus into like if I'm listening to an audible, but I listen to it like while I'm at work or something like that. And I just sit in front of my computer and I do my thing. But when it gets when the at least when the narrator can you can tell when sometimes narrators just get into like a a, a voice or a a part of the book, you know, it starts to pick up. Thankfully, they added music to a lot of books, too. It just kind of gives it a little bit more ambience that I can kind of yeah. pause what I'm doing and shift focus versus, like, just having it play. And then I just, like, pick up a word or two, I guess. Maybe that's the ADD in me, but I can't listen it takes to, time to learn to focus faster than my brain can <laughs> process. I've just been listening to audiobooks since I was a kid. 
So I think maybe my brain's trained for it. Although I get distracted easily. And everybody's different, right? Some people don't like audiobooks. Some people love them. Like Jonathan loves them. I'm I'm okay with them. I'll I do it because it's easier to drive and mm-hmm. read a book, yeah. so to say. Yeah. Um so anyway, who wants to land this plane? Jonathan? It's Matt's podcast now. It's my podcast. Well thanks everybody for coming. I can't wait to be on again. It's been real. It's been fun. Slava, oh, Darth boy. Slava, it was nice to meet you. We'll catch y'all on the flippity flop. Goodbye, good people. <laughs> <laughs>